You have to understand, Hailsham was the last place to consider the ethics of donation. We used your art to show what you were capable of, to show that donor children are all but human. But we were providing an answer to a question no one was asking. If you ask people to return to darkness, the days of lung cancer, breast cancer, motor neuron disease, they'll simply say no. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Take Me to Your Reader, discussing adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And we're following up on a listener suggestion. We had a suggestion from John Hagman, and he had asked us to talk about Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro, which was a 2005 book adapted into a 2008 film. So we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to talk a little bit about some sort of peripheral, I guess you would say tangentially inspired, right, James? Sure. Why not? Well, not really. It wasn't. Same theme, though, I guess. Yeah. Uh, from a if, different if there perspective. Are, if you can argue that a Michael Bay movie ever has themes, the island has similar <laughs> themes to Never Let Me Go. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But I do want to thank John for reaching out to us, and I will get to some of his thoughts in a bit. So this is a book that I had read before and a movie that I had seen before, and yet uh, I agreed that we could do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Why did um, you do that? Uh, did either of you have any previous experience with this? No. Blissfully ignorant. <laughs> Alas, such things cannot continue. And by the way, we're recording remotely, which we haven't done in like, I don't, when was the last, I think the last time we did this one, we had to do, um, we had to do pickups for one of the movies that we did. Screamers. Oh, right. Maybe. So, but in terms of a, a, like a full remote episode, it's been a while. It's, it's much easier when we're all in the same room. So we will try to uh, capture the yeah. same spirit here. Uh, where shall we start? Should we start with the story? Sure. Who wants to try it? Should I do it? You'll give it a fair shot, I think. <laughs> <laughs> we, we try to keep the story as uh, bipartisan as possible. Um, so here what we have is the story of an idyllic countryside English boarding school uh, where something is amiss. And uh, we're going to have to get right into spoilers here because you get into it pretty quickly in the book. And not pretty quickly. Nothing really happens pretty quickly in the book. <laughs> um, but you find out that the people who live there at Hailsham are clones and that before they are middle-aged, they will be donating their vital organs to other people. And uh, yeah, right. It, it's first person narrative told by Kathy, who is one of the students who has subsequently after being there at the school has become a carer for people who are doing the donations. And um, yeah. Anything I missed? Mm, nope. That's about it. Colin? Nope. That's... All the complete detail yeah, of the this book, book could right have there. been a lot shorter. Well, it's not a long book. That's the, that's the interesting thing. Is it sure it, felt I've, like it. I've read you know twelve hundred page books that that felt really really fast, <laughs> and then this one is, I think it's less than three hundred pages, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's like two hundred seventy five or eighty or something like that. Yeah, but feels um, like five hundred at least. <laughs> so it's interesting because uh, Ishiguro just won the Nobel Prize for Literature, and his work is very highly regarded. He's not considered a science fiction author, of course. He's a literature author, and this is a kind of a literature book that happens to have science fiction themes in it. So, If by literature you mean reading a girl's diary, yes. That's what it's <laughs> felt like. <laughs> yeah, it is. A lot. It is. So, right. I'm not really sure how to approach this one. Um because I, I would say let's just go through linearly, but since since so little actually happens, it's it's hard to do that. Well, I mean, she kind of just takes us through the the stages of her life, I suppose, right? 
Yeah, she does that, but she does it in a very meandering, you know, yeah, go yeah. down this rabbit hole and then come back up. And oh, right. by the way, in order to understand that, I have to take you back to what this incident happened. Right. And then we'll wrap back around to that other incident. So I guess at this point, we usually talk about our general feelings about the work. And I think you're getting you're getting some notion just on what we've said so far. Um, right. But Well, okay. So I was going to say we could start from a different perspective and actually talk about what the controversy or controversy is supposed to be here. Like why, why is, why, why consider this book? S- start with that. Um, well, somebody suggested it. So no, 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 no. I, no, I'm not talking about from that perspective, I guess. But I mean, the, so in theory, uh, Ishiguro is the name, right? Wrote mm-hmm. this book for a reason. What do you think that reason right. is? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's something we can wrap back around to and talk about the themes and stuff. Um, because I, I feel like there's not a lot of plot in the book, but right. it is a book that can make you think, and and it has made me think, and so I want to talk about some of that as we go along. There we go. Um, Do that. But so James, are you? <laughs> you're saying you didn't really enjoy this one, right? Yeah, it's just a little slow. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just a little slow. Right. Did Emily read it? No, she got sick, couldn't do it. Okay. She started it, and then she like kind of saw where it was going, and. It got all sad and emotional, so she stopped. She didn't even watch the I movie. She fell asleep watching the movie. So <laughs> it's rated Z. <laughs> nice. And Colin, you read through it pretty quickly, and then had to wait for me to finish it. Uh, yes, I read through it as quickly as I could, <laughs> and it wasn't something that you enjoyed greatly. N- no, so like not really Frankenstein level. Oh, even less. Okay. And this this book is really. Um, a Harlequin romance set in a science fiction world. Hmm. In other words, if if you took the fact that they're all going to die early out of it, mm-hmm. it wouldn't really change anything. Kind of like if if uh, Indiana Jones wasn't in the Temple yeah, of Doom. Or, uh, I, no, I I don't. I'm going to have to disagree with you there, and and I get where you're coming from. Um, so I will say. So this is my second time reading it. The first time I read it, I gave it like a seven or something because because it's beautifully written. And it took me a while to get through it. It took me a while to get through it this time. But by the time I did get to that end, I was really compelled to to stick with it, not just because we were doing it for the podcast, but because I was enjoying it. And so, you know, I put this one on a it I probably would probably say seven out of ten kind of thing for me. I did I did enjoy it. Some of that I was I was wondering, am I enjoying this just despite Colin? <laughs> <laughs> probably. Yeah, that, that's what I suspect as well. But so, so, but I, the, the, where I disagree is that I don't feel like if you took out the science fiction aspects that it would be the same book. Um, I, I would have absolutely no use for it if it was just the romance love triangle plot. Um, that's not the part of the book that, that I find interesting. I, <sighs> so do tell us what part of the book you find interesting. The last 20 pages, maybe? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it makes me. It makes me think, right? It makes me it asks it makes me ask questions, and some of those questions are me wanting the book to be hard science fiction. And you always ones, wanted to know what the, what a female diary seemed like looked like. Yes, something like that. Okay, no, but right. like I, I, there is some part of me that wants it to be harder science fiction. I want to know what kind of world this is because you find out. I think I can't remember if it's in the movie or if it's in this that it kind of indicates that it's almost a parallel reality where this has been going on for a while. Um, yeah. Certainly the movie is that way. Um, so it makes me wonder, what's the state of the world? 
you know, she just, uh, Kathy describes driving empty roads. And so I'm like, is this a post apocalypse? But to have the technology to make use of the organs, then, then, then yeah, I, I don't know. It's really hard to drive a conversation on, on this one. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think like Colin and I have, have met several times and we've talked and we've had interesting discussions about things brought up by this book. So Colin, do you want to bring up any of those or? Well, to tell you how hard it is to try and pull something out of the book and, and Seth and I have tried uh, in the book, there's quite a bit made out of the fact that all of our main characters come from a place called Hailsham. And so you think that maybe they're coming from a really exclusive school or something that gives them or, or a place that gives them special education that no one else gets. And that actually turns out to be true because mm-hmm. in most of the places, uh, because they're clones, they don't have full human status. Right. Um, the idea behind Hailsham, this one you know boarding school, as, as you think of it, is that they're almost brought up like regular students. Right. They're given education in the arts and humanities, and they're encouraged to develop relationships with one another, although not sexual ones. Right. Uh, and apparently, the other places where clones come from, uh, they don't do that. And when they when they meet clones, and they they know that they're clones because that's that's mentioned in there, but right. it's like they don't question what that means because it's so matter of fact. Right. Oh, you were a clone. You're going to give make donations, and then you're going to complete after your third or fourth donation. Right. And that would be code speak for you are less than human. Uh, organs and parts of your body will be taken away from you. You will probably die after the third or fourth procedure. Right. And so there's you know all these horrific things about their lives are cached in uh, alternate speak. Yeah, because it's not. And, and actually, I think John mentioned this in his email about it. He said it's it's not that the organs are being taken away. It's that they're donating them, right? Um, which is is fascinating because, of course, they are being taken away. They don't have any kind of real free will. Um, maybe I should just go and talk about. I should just read what he wrote, and then we can we can bounce off of that and and talk through it a little bit. Sound good? Okay. Okay. So he says, "What's funny is this is not even close to being my favorite book or movie." But there's still so much that made me think. The fact that the guy who wrote it doesn't do science fiction. The fact that the characters in the story don't do anything to escape their fate. They just accept the fact that they're made to donate their organs. These people may live on the fringe of society, but they're not held in cages. They have freedom, and when it's their time, they go, no question. It's a world that's okay with organ farms, but is also okay with the fact that they're not just growing the organs, but growing people for the organs and taking them. The notion that it's not looked at as taking, but that they're donations. That's what I was talking about. It just kind of sticks with you, yet yet over all this, they're just trying to live their lives and find love. So uh, he, he brings up some interesting stuff there. And this is the thing, these are the things that I've been thinking about. What is he saying? And that's that's what you uh James, I think that's that's what you asked, right? right? Why yeah. did he write this book? Right. Yeah. Um there are some obvious things that you can point to, right? Like eating meat. And and the island actually pulls this out and actually has an explicit line that says, just because people want to eat the burger doesn't mean they want to meet the cow. Right. I, I don't think – I don't know if Ishiguro is a vegetarian. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's a, a one-to-one correspondence there in any way. I don't think that's necessarily what he was going for. But there's something about bioethics. I was thinking about it in terms of things like stem cell research, right, where where you have you have one – 
one side that, that is like stem cell research is murder, essentially because it's aborted fetuses that you're getting those stem cells from, right? Where other people are like, no, no, the advances are important enough that we don't care where they come from. Um, or saying, no, look, those weren't people anyway, so we can take the stem cells. And so that, I, I feel like there is kind of a, something you could tie into the pro-life, pro-choice movement as well, if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. But I think with as with a lot of science fiction, you can kind of bring your own point of view to it, and it just puts a mirror back on on your thoughts. Right. We don't do a lot of thoughtful books or movies in this podcast. Well, I think – I'm not – I'm not sure I agree. There's there's plenty of stuff that we've read that is thought provoking. It's just there's usually also a plot to talk about. Right. <laughs> yeah, because most of the plot is in Ruth and Tommy and Kathy's relationship. Right. And you know, it, it it's affected by the fact that they have a short lifespan. Right. But um, you know, if they didn't have short lifespans, you could retcon this to say they were all in the seventies when they all started meeting again. I don't even think it's necessarily driven by their short lifespan. They could have they could still have if they didn't have short lifespans. It could still pull off the same story, where you know Ruth is about to die and say her seventies or whatever, and gives permission to mm-hmm. was it Kathy and Tom to carry on with their relationship in their elder years, if it were as it were. Yeah, still it still would be the same story. That really is the plot, I guess, of the book. It just happens to be they just happen to be clones who are quote unquote donating their organs. So it kind of brings in the, that conversation of farming, taking farming one step further. <laughs> yeah. Well, so w- one thing that I thought about was in, in reading the book, you start to see Hailsham as this sinister place. Right. And then you find out, you know, because they're, they're raising kids to be harvested. Mm-hmm. And then you find mm-hmm. out that Hailsham was an experiment that was probably intended to, to put a stop to this to show that these are actual people. These are human beings. And right. so that was, that was a fascinating turn for me. And the, the whole conversation with Madame and uh, Miss Lucy, was it Miss Lucy? No. Miss Emily. Toward the end of the book? It was Miss, Miss Emily. Towards the end of the book, yes. Miss Emily and Madame Claude. Yeah. That part I find really gripping, just, just talking about- Yeah, it was kind of like their social experiment to see what they could do, I think, right? And- Right. What would happen if we and and I think their justification for it was well, even if we fail, even if we can't show these are human beings, let's stop, put a stop to this. At least we gave them a decent life, and and that to me, um, it reminds me back to the meat thing, right? Talking about the difference between like pastured pork I and I don't think pork. they wanted to actually end the program. I think they were just trying to get a better life for the clones, because it sounds yeah. like the other schools. Uh, they were basically treating them like cattle, I suppose, uh, and, and they 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 weren't having lives worth living. Yeah, I guess, but I, I don't know. To and me, I, th- I think they, I think they wanted to give the Hailsham kids a life worth living before they complete. <laughs> yeah, but I I don't know. To me, there I find an implication there that 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 means if they can show that these are real people who have souls, that mm-hmm. that will have some impact because they talk about that. Right, we were providing an answer to a question no one was asking. Right. Are these real people? Yeah, but they didn't really say to what end, I guess. Yeah, well, but but she, she talked about how right there were advances in medical science, and they want those advances no matter what the cost is. And right. If you, if you tell them, well, these advances are at the cost of human life, they'll go, yeah, but it's not our human life; it's just clones. Well, yeah, I I, I see that, but so go back to what you were saying, or maybe you were about to say about pork. Right, mm-hmm. you're not going to stop eating pork, but you wouldn't mind seeing the pigs have a better life before they give you their chops, right? <laughs> right. But if somebody could show that 
porks were rational, that, that pigs were porks. <laughs> if someone could show- <laughs> <laughs> porks and beefs and venisons. So if someone could could show you that you know pigs were intelligent, rational beings, would you stop eating pork? Yes. No way. Bacon's too good, man. I have I have read the Chronicles of Narnia. You don't you don't eat talking animals. I would. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess that's what you're saying, though. Yeah. Like I said, this is not hard science fiction, right? It doesn't talk about what the cloning process is. It doesn't talk about yeah. how they decide who will be clones. And there is. Um, there is that question, right? Can we find our, who who we came from, right? And um, right. Ruth has that that idea as as a possible moment. Yeah. One one thing yeah. that I found um, interesting was the the whole Norfolk thing in the book, where they're like, "Well, things that we've lost, we'll find in Norfolk." And and to me, right. it reminded me of kind of a hope of heaven, almost like Norfolk was this mythical place that they would find everything that they'd lost, mm-hmm. and they don't really. Spoilers. Yeah. yeah. No. I get, yeah. Uh, to go back to what the uh, you brought up a point earlier about how they never really tried to run away or not donate, I guess. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting because they didn't really go into what would happen if you didn't donate or if you tried to run away. How, how did they enforce any of that? Right. And and that's, that's but part they never of the- really tried to run away either, I guess. We never really had any stories of past incidents of people trying to run away. It just never happened, I guess. No. And and that's, I think that, that may be one thing that makes it hard to get into, right? Because it's really hard to identify with people who are accepting their lot in life when their lot in life is to donate their organs and die. Yeah. They were just supremely brainwashed. Yeah. Yeah. Other things to talk about, about the book before we move on and talk a little bit about the movie. I'm ready to movie. Movie on. I'm ready to movie on. Yeah. I don't know. I would, I would say that it was a pretty actually faithful adaptation, if anything. Yeah. Uh, Colin, like the movie was a little bit quicker than the book. Not much though. <laughs> yeah. By nature, I think it, you know, it had to cut out a lot of the subplots and stuff. You know, you didn't yeah. really learn that much about the gallery or, or anything. And it seemed like it was, it was quite quick that we got the, the talk with Miss Lucy or whoever it was. Miss Emily. No, I think it was Miss Lucy who told him that they were clones. You know, who, who made it explicit, right? Yeah. I mean, kind oh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Miss Lucy. You've yeah. been told, but not told. That right. Hinted at their entire lives, I guess. Yeah. So it's a movie that did not make any money. It lost money. Yeah. I'm not sure how wide the release was. Um, generally, well regarded. I, I mixed praise, but 71% on Rotten Tomatoes for critic score, but 70 for audiences, which is, it's kind of rare to see one that matches like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You get a lot that go the other way, where it's really high by critics and hated by people, or loved by people and hated by critics. <laughs> right. So I will say some positive things about the movie. I like the cast. I think the performances were all good. I thought it was beautifully shot. Um, one thing I really liked was that the kids from different places had different accents. So um, you had you had Donal Gleason, um, sorry, Donal Donal Gleason, and whoever he was with, and they both had some variety of Irish accent. Um, and then all the kids from Hailstrom had similar accents as well. I like that kind of thing. I'm, I'm a language guy. And so I hate it when like you have people who are obviously always, you know, together raised the same way they should sound the same. Mm, um, right. Where if you had had a, a Donald Gleason at Hailstrom, he should not be having that Irish accent because <laughs> he was born. Right. I don't know. The movie makes me, it's, it's a sad movie. I mean, it's a sad book in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, but the movie got more of an emotional reaction from me. I will say that. What did you guys think overall of the movie? I did crossword puzzles while I was watching it to get through it. <laughs> so 
uh, Colin is a big proponent of elliptical sex, um, which <laughs> we'll explain once again means everybody knows what's about to happen. You can tell what's what's about to happen in the movie, and there's no reason to show any of it unless you want to be purposely titillating, right? And so just just fade to black, you know, cue the music, and then the next morning they wake up, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You don't need to show all the parts. And Colin has argued many times no sex scene ever drove force drove forward the plot of a movie. And right. Um, I do feel like this one has one that does. And it's not, it's not terribly salacious either. It's kind of, um, it's not super explicit, but um, it tells you something about the characters. And I, James, I don't know if you noticed it. I'm curious. Where Tommy looks kind of bored and Ruth's yeah, still going. He doesn't want to be there. Yeah, yeah, I and, noticed that. And like he's got his hands over his head, like I, and and she yeah. grabs his hands and, and she wants him to touch her, right? But he doesn't want to, um, right? And it it just visually tells you something about the couple that you might not have known otherwise. And so that's I appreciated that that for once a sex scene actually moved the plot forward in some way to the extent. Yeah, it, yeah, I guess it just further illustrates the state of their relationship. I guess the coercion where Tommy isn't really. Uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. He kind of just goes with the flow, I suppose, and he's not really sticking up for himself. And yeah. Ruth kind of just bends him into this relationship and yeah. dominates Kathy, so she has no say in the whole entire thing. Because it's pretty, it's pretty apparent from the from the beginning that they should be together and probably could have been if Ruth wasn't in the way. Yeah, but she's just extremely domineering over both of them. Well, there is a little bit of a redemption story there where, where Ruth comes clean and, and says that they should be together. Yeah. Like I said earlier, that's that's the story. That's kind of the plot of the whole thing is that whole triangle right there. This whole clone donor thing is very peripheral in my opinion. It is because – and so this to me is the not the power of it, but the – And maybe the, that's the, the – literature right taking over the literature writing versus science fiction writing right but i think i think it's the point as well because the question in the book the the kind of science fiction question there there's several of them right what does it say about a society that can do this and and the other is or would clones have souls would they be real people and the book i feel like unambiguously says these are people because it just follows them if if you never knew about the clone thing then right. you would just think, okay, this is a, this is a boring tale of a boarding school. Mm-hmm. These are normal yeah. kids, right? All right, we got to figure out how to make talk, Colin talk about stuff. <laughs> There's nothing for Colin to talk about. I, I guess you could <laughs> argue that Ruth's betrayal of Kathy's friendship by holding on to um, Tommy for as long as she did, and then when they're breaking up, she makes sure that uh, sh- that Kathy and Tommy are both hurt f- uh, f- from one another by telling them secrets that they told her. Right. Right. And, and asking Kathy to help her get back together with him. Right. Um, because their lives are so short, I think that's actually a larger betrayal than if they had a larger lifespan. But then again, right. This could have happened when they were in their sixties and seventies as normal people. Yeah. It's like, you know, Oh, I lost 40 years. Well, that's okay. You lost 40 years and you have an 80 year lifespan. Well, if you lost 10 years and you have a 30 year lifespan, that's still pretty bad. Right. Yeah. And and that um, you know, they do talk about that. And that's where some of the poignancy for me is that they finally get together and it's, you know, Tommy's already started his donations and they don't have that time. And so when the when they go to get the referrals, I feel like it's a very effective scene in the movie where they're finally talking with Madame and uh, Miss Emily. And you can see that Tommy, who I feel like Andrew Garfield is really good in this movie. You can watch his face when he finds out there's no referrals. 
and you can see he doesn't quite understand, um, but Kathy gets it. Right. Well, the fact that you know the whole idea of the referral was given to them at the cabins by the people that weren't from Hailsham. Oh, you know, you you are from Hailsham. You should know all about this because you can get referrals. <laughs> well, you know, I think we keep saying referral and we mean deferral. But that's deferral. Deferral. Yeah. Yes. The, the people from Hailsham who never heard about it made believe as if they did. Well, Ruth did. But then, at least in the book, uh, eventually Kathy and Tommy came to believe in it as well. Right. Well, they figured if they were hearing it from enough people that it must be true in some way. Even though they were from Hailsham right. and never, ever heard of it. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, you, you hang on to beliefs. That was their hope. Well, I mean, t- Tommy kind of twisted the rumor with his gallery theory, right? That's that's what reinforced the referral th- uh, rumor was his theory about the gallery. Yes. That's how they came to believe it. And it, Ruth just kind of went along with it because the other kids, she, she never said yes or no. She just kind of went with what the other kids were saying. Yeah. Okay. I'm about tapped on talking about the movie. All right. Any, anything else from you guys? Yeah. Colin? You know, there was a, a change to the movie, and that was the person who saw Kathy dancing with the pillow to the title song, Never Let Me Go. Mm. Um, in the movie, it's Ruth. But in the book, it's I think it's Miss Emily. And I, I think that's a much the- more poignant statement for her, because she knows that Kathy will never, ever bear children. Yes. Whereas Ruth could look at it and be like, oh, well, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I don't I don't know the purpose of changing it that way. Well, I think it was to keep it more focused on the, on the, on the three main leads. Because there was another thing like that, um, where Tommy was the one who gave Ruth, or not Ruth, um, Kathy, Kathy the tape. The tape, right. He bought it for her. And that's, that's to reinforce this. These are... People who care about each other. I thought Tommy found the tape the second time when they went to Norfolk. That was in the book. That was in the book. Yeah. yeah. In the movie, he bought her the tape at the sale. Uh, yeah. She never lost it in the movie, I guess. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't have time for that in, in the movie. And, and the book had yeah. plenty of time. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think I'm definitely higher on both of these than you guys are, but that's okay. Um, it, we'll have to decide when we rank them if we want to include any of the uh, supplementary material. <laughs> I'm higher on the island. That was a fun right. movie. And, and talking about that, <laughs> uh, we can talk about the island uh, directed by Michael Bay, which got 40% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, <laughs> 63% from audiences, though. And was sued. I I felt like this is yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk about that. It's this reminds me because if you want to take Never Let Me Go as the literature novel, this mm-hmm. is like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, <laughs> but it's uh, it's Never Let Me Go and Massive Vehicular Destruction. <laughs> so it's if you want to if you want to get the essence of what a Michael Bay movie is, this is pretty much it. <laughs> and I feel like in terms of Michael Bay, Bayhem, it's pretty restrained, <laughs> which is really something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, did, it did take a while to get to the destruction. I was, I was doubting it was a Michael Bay film for for a while there. Yeah, that was all like deep in the second act. By the time you got any serious, yeah, destruction. exactly. Yeah, but um, what destruction it was! I mean, they rode the name of the hotel down all the way to the street and didn't die. <laughs> yeah, such absurd. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like the movie just just makes no sense whatsoever. Really, when when you think about it, it's I find it enjoyable enough. But yeah, I just I whatever. Yeah, it is different than Never Let Me Go because these are not 
uh, clones that were, you know, born from zygotes, right? They're, they're grown fully aged essentially. So that you'll have, you know, a similar size organ. This is the only way I can justify the fact that Lincoln six echo is the same size as his original, you know, basically the same age. And without that, the rest of the movie doesn't work. Yes. Um, where, so like James said, the um, producers of this movie or writers, I don't know who was, who was sued. Um, uh, I think, yeah, I don't know. It's good. It's a good question. I think Michael Bay was, was sued, but it's probably a production company that gets, sued. yeah, probably the production. Um, that's where the money is. Yeah. 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 Um, but they were sued because of such similarity between it and a movie called parts, the clonus horror, which <laughs> I, <laughs> that I was fantastic. Michael Simshauser mentioned it on Facebook. That, hey, if you're going to talk about the island, you should also watch Parts of the Clone is Horror. It's precisely yeah. the same movie. The, the only difference yeah, is, much. well, first of all, it has Peter Graves in it, who I remember best, of course, as the uh, pervy pilot in Aliens. Uh, not Aliens. <laughs> the pervy pilot in Airplane. Jimmy, you ever seen a grown man naked? Um, <laughs> actually, I think the, the I thought the Clonus was actually a slightly better movie, maybe. Maybe it's because I was watching as part of Mystery Science Theater. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't like Mystery Science Theater. Uh, MST3. Really? Never have. Uh, um, it's so. kind of like when we watch movies together. Yeah, kind of. But, but but I mean, at least in the Clonus, Clonus Horror, they actually had some sort of discussion about the you know, uh, um, morals of it, I suppose, right? Between the two brothers, I guess, on right. the boat. That that discussion never really happened in the island. I don't think it happened a little bit. Uh, so why don't we ask Colin? Because because we're on on remote things. Colin nods off and doesn't say anything. So Colin, tell us about the island. Yeah. We got to make sure he wakes up. Wake up, Colin. Well, I think you guys covered the idea. Uh, in the island, we we come into uh, what looks like a utopian world where they rescue people from outside because there's been some kind of contamination. And you work really, really hard. And if you work hard, you get uh, picked. Well, I guess not work hard. Uh, You can be randomly selected to go to the island. Mm -hmm. And early on, we learn that going to the island is not the the great thing that you think it is because we see someone who was taken to the island and they're going to rip out his liver. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And he wakes up in the middle of the procedure and then goes and wreaks havoc in a way that only Michael Clark Duncan can just so well. That, that was pretty fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then two of the clones escape and learn that they actually live in the current world and that they're they're built to be insurance policies and they're referred right. to as insurance policies uh, for really well-to-do people. It's expensive to have an insurance policy, which is a clone raised so that you can pull body parts out of it when you need to. Yeah. So then it's them trying to escape and then they decide they shouldn't just escape. They should go try and free all the other clones. Um, yeah. I found some things really cool, like the flying motorbikes. Yeah, I like that. Um, uh, and, and you could tell there was some practical work done there. Yeah. This was probably one of the Not last much. action movies with lots of practical effects. And I, I mm-hmm. think it shot better than the CGI would have. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I did see in the IMDb trivia that uh, this, or I don't know how valid this comment is, but somebody said that this was supposed to be like a remake of Logan's Run or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it hits a lot of the same beats. Right. Well, it's also a remake of Clonus Wars horrors. <laughs> I, I did like I did like that there was that part that Colin you were talking about where they're about to fall off the building and she's dangling and he's holding her and yeah. she says, Don't let me go, and I'm like, It's never let me go. <laughs> yes. 
Um, I did. There was some pretty solid uh, fish out of water stuff because because they're very they're educated to. <laughs> Sean Bean said like the level of fifteen year olds, but I'm like, really? Are you sure they're that educated? Um, <laughs> but they have no but, idea of our culture. Right. No, I like that. Right. I, I have to go. He's taking a dump in a can. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so those are the those are some good things. Bad things like the fishing reel gun, right? Just completely unbelievable. Oh, you don't you don't oh, think yeah. that uh, you could hook somebody well enough to restrain them? Not with hooks that small. Not yeah, even close. not without doing mortal damage. Well, and at one point, both uh, Ewan McGregor and Sean Bean are hanging from their hooks over a big arm. Yeah, that's, that's the part that I thought was a, a bit ludicrous. Yeah, I did too. It has so going back to the elliptical sex scene, the, the sex scene that I feel like drives the plot forward and never let me go. Then here it has a completely unnecessary and super awkward one, right? <laughs> because he's been hanging around Scarlett Johansson and hasn't thought about sex ever. Hmm. Okay, uh, I did like though that the that tongue thing is amazing. <laughs> hey, proximity alert! Please watch your proximity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I kind of do like that in the movie, they, they don't save everybody, right? The bad guys have gone through and started trashing that whole generation of clones because they figure out they've got a a defect mm-hmm. that causes them to question authority. Start, start questioning. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Although I don't buy the memory flashes thing one bit, not at all. It's the same kind of genetic memory right. thing that they had in Planet of the Apes. Right. The original book, which doesn't work, which is why the movies got it right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for setting me up for that one. Sure. <laughs> right. Uh, absurd action movie. Basically fun, though. Uh, Stevie, Buscemi, yeah. Stevie Buscemi is pretty cool in it. Anything else about the movie? I'm glad they didn't kill Neelix. Right. They did, <laughs> did kill Sean Bean, of course. The um, I had a question about... Well, I mean, you're not supposed to think deeply about this movie, right? But most of them you know, are there to be organ donors. Well, mm-hmm. not organ donors, but organs. Yeah. Wrapped in meat. But then there's the surrogacy clone where, where how do they explain to the woman why she's pregnant? That's the thing I don't get. If they, if they don't tell them anything about sex, then how, <laughs> that it raises it way too many questions. Immac- immaculate conception. Duh. That is not what immaculate conception means, man. You were raised Catholic. <laughs> you should know better than that. Spontaneous conception. Yes. Parthenogenesis. <laughs> I also don't quite understand it. I'm like, does that mean the mother was sterile by some kind of accident or disease, or she just didn't want to go through labor? Right. I don't know. I guess I just kind of got the impression she couldn't have babies, so they made it, made a clone surrogate, done and done. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. And she was part. Of, she was part of this generation that didn't question things. So why would she question herself being pregnant? She just appeared pregnant. That's how it is. I guess. And she got praised for it too. So why not? Yeah, you got a good point, Seth. I mean, they're told that these agnates, these, you know, flesh, flesh bags are how you get your organs. The people are never, ever told that they're making clones. Right. Right. So in that case, I I guess they would have had to say, hey, with our technology, we can grow you a baby. Right. Which they kind of did. But then (laughs) then if they were going to do that, they absolutely would have just done a C-section and not not a regular delivery. Hmm. This movie does not encourage deep thought. So, no. Yeah. All right, we don't have to talk deeply about Clonus. Just uh, there is an MST3K episode about it. Yeah. Should I put the YouTube link out there? It's probably not legal. I can tell people they can search for it. There's all kinds of MST3K on YouTube, though. <laughs> oh, is there? Yeah, that's where I watched it. Right. Uh, anything else we want to talk about about for this episode? 
The island made 15 times as much money as Never Let Me Go. <laughs> it cost 10 times as much, too. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, it it was commercially it, viable, though, at least. Yeah. Even after the seven-figure copyright payoff, they still made money. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was Well, funny. the funny thing is, the, the Clonus <laughs> movie was made for like 200 grand. And and oh, so wow. I'm sure that that's that's, pay, that's probably where on. they got their money they from suing the the island because they <laughs> they were actually probably. I think the they went to court and the judge was going to rule in the favor of the Clonus whore but then they settled outside of court before the ruling was actually before the ruling was handed down there you go hmm. why don't we rank them do we are we including the island and Clonus whore your choice because <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I would totally rank the. MST3K, Clone Horror, number one. Island, number two. Oh, Never really? Let Me Go, number three. And then the book. And then the book. All oh, right. Wow. <laughs> what about you, Colin? I wouldn't rank them very differently, except I did not watch uh, the clone. I did not watch Clonus parts, whatever yeah. thing it was called. But yeah, then I would rank the movie because at least you could get through it by going by doing crossword puzzles while you watch it. Right. <laughs> Whereas the book demands a level of interaction that you can't ignore it that that well. Right. <laughs> As we've talked about it, I th- I feel like. I had more of an emotional reaction to the movie. And so I'm going to rank the movie first and then the book and then the Island because <laughs> never let me go. makes me think. And the Island is just noise. So <laughs> it's still basically fun. And it's more fun. I would totally watch like, the Island over 11 minutes ago. I would totally yeah, watch it like, again. You have to take one of these movies with you to a desert Island. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I'd take either. Actually, honestly. <laughs> um, Cause I'd get, Besides, I wouldn't have a DVD player. Touche. I think if I was going to yeah. take a movie about cloning, I'd take Jurassic Park. There we go. Oh, yeah. that would be the right choice. Even like the sixth day from the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Right. That's one we should have done. All right. <laughs> uh, let's move on then. <laughs> uh, by the way, thank you, John, for suggesting the movie. It made at least one of us think. <laughs> the book. Um, oh, I will but, give you oh, okay, hold on a, for a very interesting conversation. I, I did spend time trying to think about the book. You right. That's true. And- right. I could not come out with anything from the book that made reasonable sense to me. Okay. Like at first I thought it was about the difference in the clones' lives between Hailsham and not Hailsham. Right. But that doesn't matter in the mm-hmm. end. Uh, and then I thought, well, is this really a science fiction piece? And I don't, I don't think it is. I think you could have the same story without the science fiction mm-hmm. piece and it would work exactly the same way. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and so then I thought it was a discussion of morality. You know, is it ethical that we grow these clones and and do these things to them. And I think no one would argue that it is moral. Right. And so then what's the point of the book? That's what I asked like an hour ago. Nobody <laughs> nobody answered my question. <laughs> Why did he I write had nothing this positive book? to say at that time? <laughs> yeah. I, I I have no idea. He's not necessarily wanting you to make a judgment about if anyone would argue that the cloning is ethical and the, the way they treat the clones, but are there other areas like meat eating or, you know, life issues, bioethics, that kind of stuff? It To me, it does make me think about those things. And I feel like that's sort of the message of it, but but it's not a clear message. It's a, hey, think think about these things. But you're, you're abstracting way too much up there, I think. Yeah. And, and your experience was pretty singular between three people. That doesn't seem to be like a, a good... If the point of a book is to make you think about things Mm -hmm. and whatever those things are, if they're semi-related to what's going on in the story, I guess you could do that. Mm -hmm. Um, It almost reminds me of wine tasting though, (laughs) right? Where you have to be specially trained to recognize the hints of peanut butter, lilac, and oak 
in, in the wine. But if you just went to someone on the street and said, what does this taste like? Red wine. What does this test like, taste like? Different red wine. Mm-hmm. You do know that wine tasting is BS, right? They, well, they've done blind studies where people, they can't tell what the good stuff is. I would kind of go back to that here. Most people can't tell what the good stuff is. If you're trained properly, you can, because there is hints related uh, to actually how the wine was grown. And okay. Where but when, the when they've, when they've done studies and they've shown the labels and they knew how, how much the wines cost, they judge the most no, expensive I understand wines what you're saying. I would agree that 99% of the people don't know what they're talking about, but there are people out there that are trained sommeliers okay. and will be able to identify stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to dig up a, a study that, that shows that no, in fact, they're trained and they still can't. Fair enough. But I was going to say, you have, your notion of bioethics is very, very abstracted from what this book was talking about. Oh, I totally disagree. But <laughs> on the other hand, we also have the fact that this is a second time read for me. And Maybe. so, so I've had a little more time to process it. Right. So, you know, and your mileage may vary. Um, I'm sure there are people out there who absolutely adore the book. There are people who hated the book. So um, mm-hmm. I'll drop a couple of reviews into the show notes talking about them and people can make their own decision. Yeah, fair enough. Yep. And I'm, I'm willing to float out there that, you know, that personally I find the content of the book so offensive that nothing was going to work for me just because of the premise of the book. Yeah. Oh, okay. It, it, it's a no go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would have the similar kind of a thing if we were going to read a book that was pro racism, right. Or all kinds of other things. Sure. You know, it, it right. would be a no go for me from the get go. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. All right. So why don't we talk about what we're going to do next? Because we have previously said, let's do The Running Man. But that's, a f- well, I'm not sure it's a full book. It's a fairly brief book, I think. But we did have somebody reach out to us. Um, to He actually reached out. His name's Rich O'Donnell. He sent us a nice email talking about, um, I think, yeah, he, he came across us after I was on Random Trek. And um, so he's been binging on our on our back catalog and really enjoying it. And I thought that <laughs> nice. was cool. And he he wrote along. I think I sent you guys the email about um, his experience with the Hitchhiker's Guide and and how he enjoyed oh, yeah, the yeah. discussion. Yep. But so then I mailed him back and said, "Hey, how about a suggestion for us?" And so he said, he "said regarding recommendations, I recently came across one that surprised me. I was reading an anthology called Sense of Wonder, edited by Lee Grossman. It's a." pretty thorough science fiction through the decades type of anthology I borrowed as an ebook from my library. In it, I found the short story Arena by Frederick Brown, and a note that this was adapted into an episode of Star Trek, namely Arena, in the original series. And there's also an Outer Limits adaptation. Now, he actually does does say here that he's not sure that it's actually adapted um, after he started looking on Wikipedia like we have. But um, that brought up the possibility of adapted Star Trek. That's something we have to do, right? Well, it would be the second Star Trek thing that we've heard about. It's just that you, you've shut down the idea of doing the first one. What was the first one? <laughs> uh, it's an episode of Star Trek, the animated series, which is adapted. I haven't shut that down. Oh, yes, you did. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. So he also brought up that uh, the episode Tin Man was based on a short story. Well, actually, it's based on a novel that's an expansion Whoa. of a short story um, called Tin Woodman. Hmm. So we could do either of those. I, I feel like Arena is such a classic episode that we should do it, even though you know we'll have to discuss to what extent it's really adapted. And I happen to have a book, James, that you can uh, you can read the chapter on Arena. It's a book called These Are the Voyages. And oh, cool. It's about it has entries on every episode of the original series. Oh wow, nice. Um, and this is this book is just uh, season two. That sounds cool. But, uh, All right. I'm sorry. One. It's a very thick book. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So what do we think? We, we want to do that. Sure. Yeah, I'm game. 
So I'm, I'm always I'm thinking we should read the story, watch the Trek episode, and maybe watch the Outer Limits episode as well. All right. If we can find the Outer Limits episode. Uh, our library has a substantial um, collection of Outer Limits episodes. Cool. Remember, we found the previous one for iRobot. The Eando That's Hinden. true. Because it had both the old and the new Outer Limits. Right. So. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a plan. All right. Unfortunately, Arena is not something that's easy to find. Uh, the story. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's in quite a number of anthologies, <laughs> but our library does not have many of them. There's a there's a digital um, anthology that I've put a hold request on, but I haven't gotten yet. It's available from a university website someplace, and I feel like if they knew that it was there, they'd probably delete it. <laughs> so I don't want to. I don't want to send out a link to that, but. Look for the story Arena by Frederick Brown, and the the spelling is uh, it's not CK at the end. It's, it ends with I think it's just Friedrich, isn't it? Yes. F R E D R I C. Mm, okay. So, yeah. So it's the story of the arena, and then the episode of the arena, and out outer limits episode. Maybe outer limits episode. Let's see if we can if we can find it. Okay. No, we're trying to limit the scope somewhat, um, but uh, you know, yeah. Richard did uh, suggest both the Trek and outer limits, right. so I feel like we should do that. Yeah. And thank you, by the way, Richard. Okay. I think we should wrap up. All right. It's a wrap. Okay. Is there any blessing that could possibly be appropriate to never let me go? We could wish that people would find more enjoyment in the story than we did. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> so James suggested a blessing for us, and it goes something like this. May the clone rise up to meet you, and may it never complete early. That's what she said. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I don't know how much anybody could possibly enjoy this episode. I hope that John enjoys it. John John said this, um, thanks for all your work. Always look forward to your podcast and the fun hour it provides for my commute. I know oh, it's nice. good because I catch myself talking to you guys like it's a conversation with my friends and not a podcast. So oh, That's funny. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. So he, he should record himself talking back right. to us and telling us how wrong we are. <laughs> giving some countenance. John, if you would like to submit an audio rebuttal, um, then go for it. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be <All> fantastic. Right. <laughs> he asked us to cover The Island, which is the Kazuo Ishiguro book from 2005, which had a 2008 movie adaptation. Nope. What? It's Never Let Me Go, not The Island. Oh, did I? <laughs> did I really do that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, that's going in the blooper reel. <laughs> I was rolling too. All right. <laughs> I have to go. He's taking a dump in a can. <laughs>